0: You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Joyce Miller, back in the anchor chair after a summer break, and this is the KVMR Evening News. On Monday, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have established safe drug injection sites. One state senator tells the California Report that the veto is a lost opportunity to reduce fatal drug overdoses. Nevertheless, Newsom's approval ratings are up. Might he be looking toward a presidential run? After regional news and weather, economist Gary Zimmerman takes a deep dive into jobs data and Mark Cuneberti gets personal.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom has vetoed a bill that would have established pilot project safe drug injection sites staffed by trained clinicians in Oakland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Proponents of the bill say the sites would have saved lives as overdose deaths in the state increase. Joining us to talk about the governor's veto is Democratic State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco, the author of the bill. Thanks for joining us, Senator.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So what is your response to Newsom's veto?
2: It's devastating. A huge coalition and various cities have been working for years and years to get simply permission from the state to open these sites, just permission, because so many people are dying of drug overdoses on our streets. In San Francisco, it's two per day, just in San Francisco. And these sites over 30 years around the world have been in operation, and it's crystal clear that they save lives, that they get people off the street, so they're using inside instead of on the sidewalk in front of your kids, and they get people in the treatment. So this is a massive lost opportunity.
1: The governor released a statement after the veto saying that he was concerned about the unintended consequences of uh, passing this legislation. Um, what do you think of that argument?
2: I am a supporter of governor Newsom. He has been a friend for over 20 years. I overwhelmingly agree with him, but I could not disagree with him more strenuously on the veto and on the veto message. I don't know what unintended consequences, uh, he's referring to. He wasn't specific about that at all. Um, we need to be clear. That California would not be breaking new ground here. These sites in Europe, in Canada, in Australia, and many cities have been in place for decades. New York City opened up a safe consumption site, several safe consumption sites, almost a year ago, and they have been so successful that Mayor Eric Adams of New York, a law and order Democrat, is advocating to keep them open 24 hours a day because they are so successful in getting drug users off the streets. And so we know they work, the cities have been planning for this. This is not an unknown quantity. And, and to, to say that there are unspecified unintended consequences, I, I just really, really disagree with that statement.
1: You know, there's much speculation that Governor Newsom has national ambitions in politics and he might run for the presidency. Who knows? Um, do you think that played a role in the veto? Uh,
2: I don't want to speculate about the governor's or anyone else's motivations. We all make policy decisions as elected officials, and it's, I think, always risky to speculate about motivations. Uh, what I will say is that the governor's veto and his veto message were very off base, and I strongly uh, disagree with him.
1: So in the wake of the governor's veto, there's already been talk that San Francisco, for instance, might move ahead anyway, trying to open up some sort of drug injection site, maybe operated by a nonprofit. Um, What do you think should come next?
2: Well, um, job one of government is helping keep people alive, whether it's keeping people alive by reducing gun violence or keeping people alive by reducing overdose deaths. And so I fully support San Francisco moving forward with whatever it thinks appropriate to try to save people's lives. And so if San Francisco decides to move forward with some sort of uh, safe consumption site the way that New York City has, New York City did not wait for the state to get its act together. New York City just moved forward. Um, We have now seen multiple failures at the state level in the form of a veto by Jerry Brown and now a veto by Gavin Newsom. And so I am fully supportive of San Francisco moving forward.
1: All right. That is State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco. a uh, Senator, thanks for joining us on The
2: California Report. Thank you for having me. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel falcor II, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at SchmidtOcean.org.
1: California voters think the state is headed in the wrong direction. That according to a new poll from the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies. But they're not taking it out on Governor Newsom as he runs for
2: re-election. Here's KQED political reporter Guy Marzarotti. 52% of voters say California is on the wrong track, but Newsom's approval ratings are on the rise. The IGS survey finds 53% of registered voters approve of the job the governor is doing, a five-point improvement from February. Those marks could help Newsom sail to re-election this November. The same poll finds Newsom leading his Republican challenger, State Senator Brian Daly, 55% to 31% among likely voters. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. A
1: judge has sentenced a Bay Area man to more than a decade in prison for obstructing a probe into the 2020 murder of a federal officer in Oakland and child pornography charges. KQED's Alex Hall has more.
0: Robert Jesus Blancas drew the attention of authorities after a fellow member of a militia he had joined murdered a protective service officer outside Oakland's federal building. Blancas pleaded guilty to conspiracy to obstruct justice for deleting the militia group's files as part of his plea agreement. Blancas also admitted to exchanging sexually explicit messages, photos, and videos with underage girls. Blancas' plea resulted in a a 10-and-a-half-year sentence. Alan Dressler is his attorney.
3: It was clear he was going to get a serious sentence, and the judge imposed not only a serious sentence,
4: but an appropriate sentence.
0: Blancas is the fourth member of the anti-government group to be sentenced this year. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in San Francisco.
1: And that is this edition of The California Report for Tuesday, August 23rd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, we have a daily podcast. It has both of our morning news shows. You can subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and talk
0: tomorrow. In regional news, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office announced this afternoon that the person found dead in a vehicle submerged in Prosser Creek Reservoir Sunday has been identified as 16-year-old Kylie Rodney of Truckee. She was identified by the Nevada County Sheriff Coroner after an autopsy. The Sheriff's Office said in its statement that it and the Placer County Sheriff's Office are in communication with the young woman's family. The department said it offers our deepest condolences to them during this extremely difficult time. The sheriff's statement concluded, this is an ongoing investigation and no other information is available at this time. Divers from Adventures with Purpose, a private search company, announced Sunday afternoon that Rodney's body had been found in a silver 2013 Honda CRV under 14 feet of water near the large late-night party where she was last seen on August 6th. The vehicle was found several hundred feet from where the party took place. Turning to the regional forecast, warm sunny days will continue for the next week and beyond. Local high temperatures are expected to drop below 90 degrees during the weekend. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low in the mid-60s. The air quality index is in the mid-20s, which is considered satisfactory. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 94 and a low of 65. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, clear with a low around 48. The air quality index is in the single digits. Wednesday, sunny with a high of 85 and light southwest wind increasing to 5 to 10 miles per hour in the afternoon, with gusts of up to 20 miles per hour possible. Wednesday night will be clear with a low around 50. This evening in Sacramento and Woodland will be clear with a low around 63. The air quality index is averaging in the high 30s, which is considered satisfactory. Wednesday will be sunny and hot with a high of 96. Wednesday night will be clear with a low of 61. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. We hear a lot about the national unemployment rate, But do you ever wonder how our state and local numbers measure up when it comes to jobs? In this talk with KVMR's Paul Emery, economist Gary Zimmerman examines the most recent microdata on jobs in our little corner of the world.
4: This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. It's been a couple of weeks, Gary. When we spoke a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the strong July job numbers and the low unemployment rates for the nation and for a few demographic groups. What I'd like to ask you today is about regional data on jobs and unemployment, like right here. Is there any smaller geographic areas like cities or counties that we could use to compare our area with the state or the national economy?
3: Yes, Paul. And in, in addition to the monthly national job numbers and monthly unemployment rate numbers, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS, publishes estimates of payroll employment at the state level, um, as well as for some counties and metropolitan areas. And th- those data are all based on a large national survey of firms. And the BLS also provides state-level unemployment rates based on a large survey of households that are used to calculate the headline unemployment rate. That's the unemployment rate that you would normally hear about in the news. And the BLS uses that same data to calculate the monthly regional unemployment rates for metropolitan areas and counties. So, yes, there are some data that we can examine to look at regional differences in labor markets, at least through the month of June when the most recent data are available for the regional data.
4: Well, let's uh, start with uh, California. And how is California's labor market doing compared to the national picture?
3: Well, payroll job measures, those based on the survey of firms, uh, the data that were released this week showed that California in the 12 months ending in July added jobs at a slightly faster pace than the nation. And of course, we know that the July numbers were very strong. Um, In July, California reported 17.6 million jobs. That's a record. Um, and the state added 740,000 of the strong 6.1 million payroll jobs that were added nationally over the year ending in July. Um, in terms of payroll job growth rates, another way to look at the data, California reported a rapid 4.4% increase in jobs over the 12 months ending in July. So the state added jobs slightly faster than the strong 4.2% increase we saw nationally. And it's also important that all of the Western states, well, actually, all of the 50 states added jobs over the year ending in July, another indication of the you know continued current strength in the job markets across the nation.
4: Okay. How about unemployment, Gary? How does California's unemployment rate compare with the national uh, unemployment rate? Is it higher or is it lower?
3: Well, California added jobs at a faster pace over the past year. California's unemployment rate was still somewhat higher than the nation's in July. And we just have, you know, again, just July data for the U.S. and California. Um, so I'll look at those here for comparison. California reported a 3.9 percent unemployment rate in July, you know, somewhat higher than the nation's 3.5 percent unemployment rate in July. Uh, but for perspective, remember the Federal Reserve policymakers recently indicated that 4 percent would be the long-run unemployment rate, you know, for the U.S. economy when it's running at full employment. So clearly, both. The, the US and California are in that full employment ballpark. Um, and while California's unemployment uh, rate in July was marginally higher than the national rate, California actually recorded faster improvement in the unemployment rate over the past year than the nation. You know, as the nation, you know, re- continued to recover and expand, and the labor markets rebounded following the 2020 COVID recession. So nationally, the unemployment rate fell by 1.9 percentage points to a very low 3.5% over the 12 months ending in July. Um, In California, the improvement was much more dramatic with the unemployment rate falling to 3.9% in July because it dropped by a huge 3.5% for the year. So that's a lot of labor market improvement, both nationally and in California.
4: Okay, Gary. Now let's take a look at Nevada County. Uh, What can you share with us about the unemployment rate for Nevada County and maybe other areas where KVMR broadcasts? How do those rates compare with the nation and the rest of California?
3: Well, most of those areas have low unemployment rates, lower than the nation and the state. And like the US and California, most of the regional areas also recorded sizable declines in unemployment rates over the past 12 months, ending in June. Here, we'll have to use the June data because the July data are not yet available. For Nevada County, the unemployment rate compares very well with California and the nation. Nevada County reported a very low 2.9% unemployment rate in June. For other counties in metropolitan areas, um, Placer County reported an unemployment rate of 2.6%. El Dorado County was at 2.9% unemployment, while Calaveras County was low at 3.1% unemployment rate. Uh, Woodland, which is part of Yolo County, in the large Sacramento-Roseville metropolitan area, you know, both of those areas recorded a 3.4% unemployment rate in June. Um, The Yuba City metro area was kind of an outlier in this group. It posted an unemployment rate of 5.5% in June, you know, above both the national and the state rates.
4: That's interesting stuff, Gary. I must admit. (laughs) I must admit. It's going to going to scratch my head on that for a while. Why Yuba County? But anyway, uh, that's more than we're taking on today. Gary, thank you so much. Look forward to chatting with you again in two weeks. Okay. Thank you, Paul. You bet. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Federal Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance.
0: Depending on one job and a single income can be risky, especially in times of economic uncertainty. Today, commentator Mark Cuneberti talks about two stepping stones on his personal path to financial security, being his own boss, and developing multiple income streams.
5: Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Losing one's income can be devastating. Single-income families are always teetering on the brink. With but a single breadwinner, family members who are the source of that income may feel a tremendous amount of pressure. Should the breadwinner lose his or her job, the family's financial picture can suddenly turn ominous if other resources are not available like savings, retirement plans, or extended family emergency assistance. During my times of being a financial advisor, I see financial snapshots that can scare the heck out of me. By nature, I'm a conservative guy both in my investing and in my operation of the family budget. Although the wife handles the bill paying, I handle the income side of things and I'm always scanning our financial picture with unnecessary foreboding. Being somewhat of a nervous nelly when it comes to evaluating our finances, money in and money out and our liabilities, I'm always thinking worst case scenarios. As such, my brain is also always thinking of ways not only to streamline expenditures but to mainline our income streams. Long ago, I knew that working for someone else put us at risk of job loss, which essentially was the decision of someone else. That began the search for ways to be my own boss and eliminate the risk of having a bad hair day or telling the wrong joke and subsequently finding a pink slip in my inbox. For my family's sake and for my ability to sleep at night, I ventured out on my own very early on. Right out of college, I started selling houses with a side job of selling cars. I also exercised my knowledge of the markets with a B.A. in economics in 1979 and began my career in the markets to supplement my income. Soon after, I started an engineering firm, building off a full-time job as an engineer early on, working for someone else, then quitting and starting my own firm. Although maddening at times with the amount of work I had to put in to maintain the handful of endeavors I had, I found the multiple sources of income from my various endeavors not only gave me a sense of accomplishment, but provided multiple sources of income as well. The experience not only showed me the key to success, And that was, I learned hard work and long hours when necessary to achieve success, both mentally and monetarily. Fast forward to today, and I not only still have the engineering firm, a financial career, an insurance and annuity company, and a film, radio, and media company. This provides me with the basis of what I deem necessary to secure my ongoing financial viability, which is to have multiple sources of income. That said, during years of scrutinizing other people's finances and budgets, it's amazing how many people's snapshot give me the willies. For instance, during the real estate blow-up in 2008, I met many a family that only had one breadwinner who was at the mercy of the people he or her worked for, yet had bought big houses stuffed with big toys like boats, multiple cars, vacation homes, and you name it. Other investors own multiple rentals, and although rentals can be a great source of income, they can also drag you down into the depths of bankruptcy should tenants start to experience financial hardship and stop paying the rent. The word overextended is an understatement for some. I would think, what happens if this person loses his or her job? As for the rentals, who would have forecasted a rental moratorium such as what we had during COVID? Although many thrive and survive on single incomes, many others fall into the pit of hardship, or worse, into the hell that is a bankruptcy if the single job is lost. During times of economic prosperity, single incomes can be enough to provide the necessary incomes that a family needs to prosper. But in times of economic distress, such as what we saw in 2008 and the COVID crisis in March of 2020, or today's inflationary environment, the gears of debt can crater a family's financial future in a hurry. In conclusion, although some might not be able to work for themselves for a variety of reasons, securing additional sources of income through whatever mechanisms might be available and taking a hard look at expenditures and one's financial exposure can go a long way in keeping their monetary viability intact. I'm watching the market so you don't have to, and that does it for today's Money Matters. Remember, the newscast expresses my opinion only and is not meant as investment advice, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff members, or underwriters. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti.
0: that's our newscast. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. Check out our website, kvmr.org, to hear expanded versions of many of our stories and interviews. Or listen to the KVMR Evening News and Steve Baker's morning updates wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com And the Center for the Arts presents Country Artist Bastard Sons of Johnny Cash on Friday, August 26th, and Comedian Adam Ferrara on Saturday, August 27th. Tickets and information at thecenterforthearts.org. This is Joyce Miller signing off. The KVMR Evening News will be back Wednesday night, same time, same station.